I'm your host, Brad Alvarez, and welcome back to the Senior Living Concepts Podcast. In this episode, we're going to hear from V. Chazen, Manager of Virtual Programs at Mather Lifeways. I've wanted to bring in a virtual reality expert since launching this podcast, and V is the perfect guest. Outside of her career at Mather Lifeways, she's advancing the space as the host of the Hive VR and also as a writer for the VR esports outlet V Respond. She competitively plays the VR game Onward, a multiplayer shooter game, and she has a great story in the interview involving older adults playing Onward. She's also been a featured speaker on many stages, including at Aging 2.0 and at Northwestern University. If her enthusiasm for virtual reality isn't already evidenced by her unrivaled background, I recommend you check out her article titled VR Live from the Hospital Bed. While battling cancer, V still managed to host the high VR from her hospital bed while receiving a blood transfusion. It speaks volumes about the power of this tool, but more importantly, about V's dedication and spirit. She has a lot of experience to share, so let's dive into the interview. V, thank you so much for joining us today on the Senior Living Concepts Podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. How did you first get involved with with virtual reality? Okay, so I like to... I'm very enthusiastic about technology. Um, I do like to introduce emerging technology. So anytime anything comes out, I will either go out and test it or I'll purchase it and I'll see how we can apply it to what we do now. Anytime there is a new technology, I go out and research it, I see how it, we can apply it, which is often the case when we work in this industry because uh, we, we bring our passions into it. I have colleagues who are musicians and so they bring their love of music in. Our director is very passionate about art. She has a degree in art therapy, so you'll see a lot of themes of art in our programming. So because I love technology, I want to bring that here. So not only for older adults, but for our workplace. As you know, uh, if you work in a bubble of technology, you forget that the world hasn't caught up a lot. A lot of places still use pen and paper. Excel spreadsheets, you're, you're smiling knowingly, so I think you know <laughs> that that happens. So I kind of took it upon myself to help us move along because we serve an older population and we get very reactive to needing to care for the people now, which is very important, but then we forget to catch up for the people who come next. And I was worried we may fall behind. But of course, I am a little, how do I say, like, I just think it's, it's going to come a lot faster. When you adopt technology earlier, you see the changes go rapidly. And I, I thought it was a really fun, a fun thing to do. And I really love seeing people learning technology. And we're talking about a really big generation gap here of people who did not grow up with some of our customers without refrigeration. You know, I interviewed a man who, he's one of our customers, he's 100, I believe now, and I interviewed him, he's fascinating, and I asked him, of all the technology, what did you like love seeing? And he said, the refrigerator. It was the most <laughs> innovative thing. He, he said, yeah, the refrigerator. I was like, okay, you know, I didn't even think about that, but, you know, life-changing technology, and now we have 
technology that can change lives, but it also enhances it. And that's what I often say is that you can still write on pen and paper. You can still write letters. You can do all of these things, but technology allows us to help the things that we need, help with the things that can engage older adults. And I feel like this population is the one, the one that needs it the most. And so I, I really just kind of kept with my passion of technology and how I can apply it here. In V's next answer, she's going to get slightly technical about a VR concept called degrees of freedom. So let's break down what this means in advance. When we talk VR, it's pretty much always three degrees of freedom or six degrees of freedom. Each degree is basically a different way to move in the virtual space. So if you have three degrees, imagine something like this. You're sitting in a chair and looking around. You can turn your head left or right. That's one degree of freedom. Turn your head up or down. Now that's two. You can also tilt your head left and right. That's the third degree. This is like watching something from a fixed position, and it generally lends itself to spectator-oriented VR. It's fully immersive, but you can't move around much. When you hear of the elderly population using VR, I'd bet you it's three degrees. Six degrees of freedom carries over the same movements I just described, but with three more degrees. So this time, imagine you're standing. In addition to those previous head movements, you can move forwards and backwards, left and right, or up and down. Six degrees of freedom allows you to more completely explore a space and engage with the environment. All right, there's your high-level debrief. Let's get back to the interview. What are some of the incorrect notions that you've seen in introducing these, these new technologies? And what are some of the ways that we could potentially combat that? So let me think. Actually, how I started in VR was my brother's roommate had the whole setup, and he showed us over Christmas. I mean, he had just purchased it. And I loved it so much because I was starting to read about it, but I, had, I hadn't brought it in yet. Um, and, and so when I tried it, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I mean, Tilt Brush is what really sold me on it. That was and my first experience as well. Yeah, it was my first experience, and I just was like, this, there's so much we can do with this. And so I, uh, what happened? One of our, one of our, my colleagues here who isn't in my area of focus said he was meeting with a vendor talking about VR. And I said, you are? And I said, what did they bring you to try? And he said, like a cardboard headset. And I was like, no, you have to try this other stuff. <laughs> so I brought in my Vive for everyone to, come and try. And so people came in throughout the day here at our headquarters. And once they tried it, they were like, okay, we see the difference here. So I tried to think of like, how can we use it here? And the, I guess, I think people think, first of all, just in VR in general, when they think that they've tried VR on a phone, that they've tried it and they're fine. So explaining you know, degrees of freedom, uh, the experience differences in, um, from video, 360 video, to actual you know, experiences made in Unity, uh, it's quite different. So having to explain that here first was, I guess I, I just, you just have to show people. You mm -hmm. can't really, it's hard to explain. How do you say, you're in a whole new world, you can be anything you want, literally, 
anything you want and you can see and do all kinds of things and that um, explaining depth perception it was difficult we, I really just had to show it um, with with our older adults I think that people often think that okay well they would just want to see a map in Google Maps or they may just want to do a travel sitting down experience but for me, I work in the community where a lot of our older adults are younger older adults. And so I don't, I sometimes don't even say older adults, I just say adults because it's 50 and better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people who are 50 are like, I'm not, I'm not a senior. Well, we don't use the word senior. So uh, we, I, you know, sometimes I just say adults. So they skew younger and they don't need to be sat down and put in just a, a mobile device, you know, that they can stand, they can, they can do Richie's plank experience, you know, they can draw on Tiltbrush, uh, they can go into all space. So I enjoyed bringing that to people. Of course, we do take precautions. So for some customers, we have them starting sitting down. There's a lot of, of course, getting used to it. But I think, I think that people try to dumb down technology a lot for our industry. And I find that unfortunate that I feel that there are some companies that kind of take advantage of, of us being a bit far behind and kind of introduce technology where their assumption is that our older adults can't see, can't hear, which makes sense, but that doesn't cover everybody. And I understand their thinking of it, and I feel like a lot of people just kind of bring out, you know, the iPad came out, so they try to make a $100 version that doesn't work well. And our older adults get frustrated because, like, this doesn't work, and I have to tell them this is not. Like, that wouldn't be the experience, you know. If you, if you want to know what a Mercedes drives like, it, don't take the bus, you know. <laughs> so, um, so there's just a lot of how we introduce things to older adults and when I see other people in the VR industry who also work with older adults using the Rift Oculus, like the Oculus Rift, I'm just like, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I think that's the experience to let them use. When I see experience that are just uh, three degrees of freedom, uh, just flying over a 360 photo, I feel that that is misleading to what VR can actually do. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm really happy you bring that up because if you read about some of the more basic experiences that are out there for older adults, it is very much focused on what you described. It's a sit-down experience. You know, a Google Maps, a tilt brush, typically driven by somebody else. And you've clearly taken it to the next level. Um, can you talk a little bit, has there been any interest in VR gaming from some of the older adults that you've, that you've met? Actually, that's, that's really funny. So the experiences that I introduce adults to is the first I start with the blue or yeah. The that's blue. the underwater one, yeah, correct? Underwater. Yeah. It's called the blue. Correct? I mm -hmm. think so. So I introduce them to the blue because it's beautiful inside. They can warm up to the movements. They don't have to use any teleporting just yet. And it really gives them the idea of what it looks like. 
because it is digitized. So people's thoughts might be, well, it's like a cartoon. That doesn't, how is that real? But it's not about being exactly real like real life. It's about how we perceive things, just like how it's human nature to recognize faces out of objects. It's the same thing where that's all we really need. And so I really like taking those types of experiences. And then I move them to Tilt Brush so that they can use the controllers and create objects and they can see it in 3D. So the, the funny thing is people always go in and they draw a happy face or something. And I'm like, <laughs> you could actually put a spear and the nose, you know, a real face. And then that just blows them away. So that is the next experience I put them in. And then for the adventurous, I do use Richie's Plague Experience. And then I explain social VR. And I put them into Altspace or VR chat or rec room. I typically will let somebody know ahead of time. For instance, at Altspace, I reached out to one of the admins and they met us in and then they gave a tour. Uh, when I <laughs> When I get to give presentations here in the day, that is the evening for people in Europe. So we'll often go in and I'll find one of my friends from Germany and I'll say, can you tell them who you are? And they'll answer the questions in real time. And the customer's are like, are those, are they, is that real? Are they really there? Because you're talking to a robot. I'm like, no, it's, it's a real person. I said, can you answer my question? And they'll answer back and they're like, he's talking to me. And so it was really, it's really funny. So I put them in and they're blown away because it sparks something where you realize, oh my goodness, I can meet people in here. As in my kids live far away. I can, I can meet them in here. So social VR is a good introduction as well. However, there has been, there was one time I was, I was demoing VR and they saw my library and they said, what's Onward, which is what I, I play. <laughs> and I told them it's a, it's a, you know, a military simulator type. It's, you know, probably not something you might want to play, but they were like, you want to play it. <laughs> and it was funny because I was like, okay, you sure? And they're like, yeah. And so they, I put them in. Um, and if you, it, you know, it's a military simulator. So you know, there's a shooting range and all types of things. So they wanted to feel what it was like and then the world around them. And they played around of, you know, an operation against AI. But it was really cool because Again, I can also have misconceptions of what people want. You know, I, I use things that are like softer, more easy to dive into, but they saw that just sitting there and what is that? And when I told them, I said, yeah, you know, I, I play this in a league and they're like, you want to do it? And so it was just really funny to see. And I was actually really glad to do that because it really, it really just reminded me that, you know, everybody wants a different type of business. So, um, so that's the kind of gaming I'll introduce them to. There's a lot of different apps, though. I do, I do change it depending on where I'm demoing VR. You know, I have to ask, how did your new soldiers fare in Onward? <laughs> Their first time playing. <laughs> so it was, it was actually really funny. The gentleman that he started first, he, I, 
he couldn't get over how real it felt, you know? Uh-huh. And so then he, like, you know, he shot one of the AIs, and it was just really, it was just so funny. I don't, I don't remember, I don't think he finished the round because it was so, like, um, he was having a lot of fun. So then I was like, you know what, well, let's go to the shooting range where you could just hit the targets instead. And so we moved over to that so that yeah. he wouldn't have to teleport mm-hmm. so much um, because we hadn't learned that part of it. But he wanted to know what it was, you know, just if it was, I guess just wanted to know how real it felt or what it looked like. And so, yeah, we definitely moved them to the shooting range, which they enjoyed that too. So who am I to judge? I love the game too. <laughs> Absolutely. I just admire them for diving into the deep end. I know, right. really. It was really like, wow, okay, I was just showing you underwater. And now they're like, what's this one? <laughs> they went really, really fast for me. <laughs> I mean, clearly you've been pushing the envelope on this quite a bit. Um, so looking at this a little bit more broadly, I know that you know Mather has a long-standing reputation as innovators and early adopters of new technologies. Um, so I'm curious, where has this push come from? And from your end of things, how have you managed to avoid the trappings of complacency? Oh, wow. Okay, so first, Mather LifeWave is a nonprofit organization. And it, we are over 75 wow. years young, as we say. <laughs> and we, we started with a man named Alonzo Mather. He died in his 90s. The, and before he passed away, he even had a patent for a personal flying machine, hmm. which sounds cool. But he passed away in the 40s. So you can imagine how innovative that is. And so he is known for all of the all of the many things that he's done. Let me start from his uh, experience with the, I think he was, no, let me think about this. So Alonzo Mather was on a train ride once and he saw how livestock were being transported and he did not think that it was humane. So he's the one that created the stock car with the, what is it, the flaps so that they can breathe. Mm-hmm. So it's a more humane way of transporting hmm. and transporting livestock. So that is an example of the type of things he was creating, which is convenience, humane, dignity, when he passed away, he bequeathed $5 million to open a home for women of refinement. So women who lost their husbands in, in the war um, and didn't really have anywhere to go because women didn't have the same power and, and rights that they do today. And that has transformed to what we have today, which is our life plan community for adults 65 and up. So I'll have to make sure I get that quote for you. So we have our life plan communities where older adults live. We have one here in Evanston, Illinois. We have one in Wilmette, Illinois. One in Tucson, Arizona called Splendido. And we just started a new one in uh, Virginia. 
and I haven't visited that one. I'm excited to go see. Uh, but if there are these incredible places that really honor our past. We also have our Institute on Research. They do research on technology, on brain health, on fitness, anything pertaining to uh, older adults that are of interest. So they do a lot of research-based articles, our orange papers, not white papers, <laughs> uh, that are, and they are an amazing group of people. I mean, really just so knowledgeable and influential, I would say, for our, uh, for our industry. Then where I work is community initiatives. And what we do is work in communities, communities that have older adults that may need more resource. So we have our Mathers More Than a Cafe. And they are, they, well, we have been around since 2000, I believe. And we think that it starts with a cup of coffee, you know, or food is what brings people together. So it's a cafe and anyone can eat there of any age. And the food is good, if I do say so myself, because I started in culinary. But I can tell you as, as a chef uh, um, that it actually is good. We, we hand cut the fries. We, it's homemade mm. soup. Uh, it's, you know, we cut and make everything fresh that day. It's not like packaged food that we bring in and serve. We really give them a lot of choices as well. But it's not just about the food. So that's why we're more than a cafe. You can also find programming there, lifelong learning programs, classes on technology, fitness, fitness center, and games, and, and friends. And um, we don't chase you away. You could stay there all day and not buy a thing. We have bottomless coffee for under a dollar. And in January, February, where we are known to be a, a bit cold in Chicago, <laughs> we serve soup for the price of the temperature mm. that day. <laughs> so if it's 10 degrees, guess what? It's 10 cents. And people ask, like, what do you do if it is a high of negative? And we were like, it never goes high of negative. Well... <laughs> <laughs> there was a, something called a polar vortex <laughs> a few years ago, and it did dip below, and the high was a negative amount. So we gave them change back to, did you really? <laughs> to eat our soup. <laughs> and uh, so, yep, we're like, here's your soup, and here's five cents. And it wasn't because we had to pay them to eat it, but because <laughs> we honor our word. Um, so that's the type of thing that we, we do. And... So we say that Alonzo's, our past fuels our future. So Alonzo Mather was an inspirational person who really saw the world differently. And because of how he saw the world and how he continued to push the limits, we try and follow those examples as well. Certainly, I mean, that's a 75 year long legacy of being on the cutting edge. Have there been any benefits on that same note, uh, you know, just seeing that you're based out of Evanston, you're pretty much adjacent to Northwestern's campus. Have there been any partnerships there to help push some of these uh, some of these methods? So we actually work with a lot of different organizations and colleges. I've actually lectured at Northwestern um, uh, for a social social media for social good. 
class. And so I lectured about what we do here and how we can bring technology forward and making sure that as we continue using all types of technology, how we can apply it to this industry. So there are, in those ways where we work with them, we also have uh, interns that come in and work with us for the summer or they are working on a certain project and they'll work in our research institute. But we also work with hospitals, we work with other universities as, as well, the U University of Chicago, hmm. um, but we also work with other organizations, other lifespan communities, leading age, aging 2.0. We are always open to share ideas, which I always really appreciate about this industry. I, and I don't think it's very common, I make an assumption, that uh, we sh it's common for us to share ideas because we're all mission-driven. What do we want? We want to help adults age well. We want people to know that once you reprior, not retire, <laughs> um, that there are a lot of things that you can still do. It's not over. So... There, it's not uncommon for us to share ideas with people, even if some might say, like, "Oh, that's a competitor." It's it's more about like, are we are we all utilizing each other's ideas and helping one another, you know, um, helping one another bring through our mission? How do I say that? Like, you know, making sure that we can do this all together, basically. Yeah. Oh, and you had asked about complacency. Yes. Did you mean that in... in... In terms of, you know, how do you... you know, I, I think it would be easy to fall into the trap of, you know, look, here we are, we've done this great innovative thing, and we're just going to sort of rest on our laurels for a bit. And that clearly hasn't been the case at this organization. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that that's how it... Is it does that stem from, <laughs> I mean, the culture? Is that coming from... Is that internal to each department with the different initiatives that they push? I mean... How have you managed to sustain that desire to keep pushing? Well, again, we do hold true to our foundation. And when we feel that it is time for a refresh, you know, those are things that we've planned already and talked through. So our strategic planning is we do that five years in advance about what, where we want to go and we follow through on it. We don't do everything at the snap of a finger because we really try to put a lot of thought and research into what we do and be very intentional with our choices. And it's interesting, we, we do something called uh, our replication. So people from all over the world come to see what we do so that they can replicate it. And we are actually replicated all over the United States. And we have a replication in South Korea. Hmm. Um, but people come from Australia, Singapore, Japan, London, Canada, as far away as it is. They've come to learn about what we do, and we don't hold back. They come, and we show them what it's like to be our customer. We we ask them about themselves and then we create, you know, their welcome basket that is 
specifically for them, their favorite magazine, their favorite colors is, is what the bag is, their favorite drink, their favorite snack. Mm. And then whatever their interesting fact, like for instance, someone talked about how much they love their pets. So we bought them dog food to bring back, like little treats, <laughs> you know, so that they can bring back. That's very helpful. Yeah, things like that where it's not about just serving people. It's about creating these experiences. And we've been doing that in, in community initiatives for almost 20 years. Okay, so for instance, my boss, she's been here for 19 years, I believe. So, wow. Yeah, there's people from the beginning here. And, and so it's interesting because you look back and you think, oh, we, you know, we need to be doing more. We need to keep pushing it. And I remind us sometimes that we aren't doing something that is unheard of. We did not create the car that flies, right? Mm -hmm. All we did was collectively come together and shared our passions and created these experiences and go above and beyond. And people find that innovative, which is interesting, but we do everything with intention. The way that we furnish our cafes, the way that we paint the walls, the feeling that we want to bring in people, the staff as well. Um, it's important with who we work with that um, they are, you know, the, the right fit. And we have a low turnover. I mean, I've been here for over 10 years. I told you my boss has been here for 19 years. Uh, our other directors have been here for, I want to say, I don't know, 17 years. Even. I mean, who knows? We, we even have people who've been here for over 30 years. So it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's because it feels good. It's a, it's a great place to work, and again, the work feels good. And so the we just continue to push with our strategic planning, making sure that we follow through on it, and researching. For the longest time, I mean, I worked in the culinary, I think I worked there for three years, and I worked with my boss then. She was, you know, we were colleagues. I had no idea what she did, you know? I knew that she worked, and she met with customers, and she did things, but I didn't know because we do so much. And as I continue to work here, I realize, oh my God, like we have people who they, you know, she helps people with Medicare, you know. Um, so I had no idea that we had that. We have people who, um, what else? Uh, tax preparation. You know, one of our cafe managers, she prepares taxes. So, just, you know, volunteers with ARP and just like all these interesting things that we bring to the table. So our innovation really lies in how we go about our work and it doesn't feel like work for a lot of people because we don't stop um, and so that's why if i love technology i'll bring it to the table if my colleagues love music they'll bring that to the table anything that we love that we think we can we can enhance our services we do uh, and i think we just you know follow through it's that's really important and we continue to learn we have budgets to go to conferences we have uh, consortiums, you know, we, we participate in Leading Age Academy. Have you heard of that? I did. I saw that you were actually part of the, was it the Leadership Academy through yeah, Leading Age? Yeah, through Illinois. And there's a national program as well. And I highly recommend it. You know, that Leading Age is their own organization. And uh, I'm also on their incubator task force as well in Illinois. So it's things like that where we collaborate and just continue to push forward and I mean but no one thinks that they are no one thinks that they're being innovative you know because you kind of get day to day you're just 
you're doing your work to serve people, right? But then there's a, there's those moments where you're like, where somebody says something like, I had a customer who fought in her computer with her son who passed away computer, mm. and she said that he he bought it for her, but she had never turned it on, and so she wanted to turn it on. So I I turned it on for her. I kind of showed her around, and then I showed her YouTube. And somebody had done a tour on YouTube of her hometown in Ireland. And she cried because she was like, oh my gosh, like I grew up there, I know this street. And she felt like she could now do something that her son wanted her to do, mm. you know? So those things where you realize that what you're doing helps other people and it feels good. So. Yeah, and that's why we just keep going along, keep moving. Totally, and I, I really like the theme of collaboration that comes through very clearly throughout your answers. And with that in mind, just seeing, just seeing the collaborative nature of this work and the meaningful nature of this work, what are some unique skills that you think individuals could potentially bring in to this industry, or maybe that people who are already in this industry should work on developing to help push these missions further? It would be great to bring more people in who can teach technology, can embrace it, and can push for change. Who they're not going to just fall in line and say, okay, well, that's the way it is, and so I'll just do that. It always takes somebody who wants to bring the change and commit to it, no matter how long it takes. I mean, I think it was like last year that we finally implemented something that I wanted 10 years ago. You know, it's just something you just don't give up on. You know, you just keep pushing for it until it happens. Uh, and so that, that drive. But again, as I said, people fall into this industry. Um, our director of programming has a degree in philosophy, you know? Yeah. Um, and he, his thing is that he's never afraid to just ask people, you know, to do a program. He actually even got, I think, into like a fender vendor with somebody. And while they were waiting for the police, he noticed a bumper sticker that was like a jazz something, you know, oh, you play music and then got a program out of it, you know, just stuff like that where, <laughs> where, you know, it's being able to just share your experience no matter where you are uh, and just things like that where one good thing leads to another. So being able to, to find opportunities I think is really great, but any skill really, as long as you, you want to work at a place like this, if you find find it special, if you feel that is rewarding work, whatever it is your skill is can be applied and it would be great to bring more people in here. As you know, you can be really short staffed and mm -hmm. you know, the interest is there's a misconception of what we do and some people even like, oh, I didn't even know there's places like this, you know, that's available. So I think really anything as long as this is what you want to do. Um, and it could become something that you want to do. I didn't know I wanted to do it until I did it. No, that's, that's, a, that's a fantastic answer. And I actually want to pick up on, on something that you started your answer with, talking about how people can maybe bring in you know, more uh, tech skills into this industry. So kind of segueing back into VR specifically, I'm, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain on this, where the first time that I tried virtual reality was maybe three or four years ago. I didn't know what to expect the first time I tried it. But it's, it's sort of like what you were describing earlier. Once you put it on, you get it. But it's one of those things where initially the price point was so high, right? If you wanted to have, you know, say an Oculus Rift 
for instance, or an HTC Vive, where you have to go buy this expensive headset, you need to have a VR-capable computer, you know, you have to have the know-how to put this together. And mm -hmm. I thought that when some of these lower price point, fully immersive interactive headsets like the Oculus Quest came out, that you would see a lot more buy-in, that it would start to become more mainstream. And, and it has to an extent, but it isn't, it isn't quite ubiquitous. You know, I haven't really seen these everywhere. You're not going to see VR in every senior living community. So from, from your perspective, I mean, you've been here from the ground floor. Do you think this will ever reach a point where this particular type of technology will be, I guess, more commonplace in the industry? Do, do you see it trending in that direction? Well, if I have anything to do with it, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then that is my mission here. Uh, and there are people who are working in the industry who are just very passionate about it. Um, shout out to you know my friends overseas. I just visited Pedna. So uh, my friend David works there, and they work with older adults in the Netherlands. And I just visited their office of innovations and, and what they're doing. Um, and he's also working with VR. And you know that's something that we all share a passion for. And we all know that it isn't being adopted widely by any everybody you know it's not just our industry um, and it's the the barrier of entry is high as you said mm -hmm. it costs a lot this is not just the cost let's say you can afford all of that and you buy it well who's going to troubleshoot it you know it's mm. not something that is easy to troubleshoot i mean for me there have been times where i've spent like over an hour just figuring out what went wrong with my mic you know on on my wrist or something and um, it, people don't have the patience for that so it's also the the use of the technology now the prices have gone down and as you said with the quest it is a game changer um, I got to actually try the quest early when it, they first announced mm. it and as I, I was at oculus connect and I was just so blown away I was so blown away because I did not believe that you would have the kind of experiences you can have in the quest and so of course my wheels were turning already about how we can use it now I want to buy like you know a hundred of them because it, it's so easy to use uh, even with, when the go came out I thought oh wow that's a really good entry as well mm -hmm. but I'm a big advocate in six degrees of freedom at least you know like yeah all the way around experience and and so I'm just really excited to see what we're going to do with the Quest. For me, I don't have to have our gaming laptop. You know, I mean, the, the price is $400 a unit. And Oculus, although I'm sure you've heard it's difficult to get onto the Oculus store for Quest, they have quite high standards. But Oculus does work well with developers in the community to support their projects. You know, with their launchpad program, and uh, so I I think that there is potential for us to move it that way. The interesting thing about VR is that I think at first you think, oh, it's gaming because it's electronic, right? So it's centered around gaming. Of course, gaming is the the biggest buy-in, right? But I think in second. For projection in the next decades, uh, our industry and in healthcare in general is 
going to be like the second to or if it's if it's second already but we are leading in that sense you know it's not like we're a small number so not just what we do but people who we would naturally work with doctors uh, psychiatrists clinics or rehabilitation memory care uh, researchers people like me who do programming and uh, there's there's so much available and then we have people who are doing these amazing experiences that are not just experiences they're they're created for a specific purpose like liminal vr you know that's research based they have people who are like neuroscientists on their team who they test color theory they mm. do yeah they do things where they um they ask you how you feel before you start the experience and then you pick the experience and then they ask you how you feel after the experience and that's data that they use to create more experiences or, or prove the point or um, was a proof of concept. And so, so many people are doing these cool things. It's really about connecting it with each other and how we can use it. So for me, I don't work in memory care, but I know people who are doing things that may apply, right? And, and just gaming in general, I saw, I saw a, uh, a presentation on gaming and older adults and how they said that older adult women the highest demographic of online game players like you know they play not like what you think like counter-strike or something but they would play <laughs> you know like bingo or all types of different games and i and they spoke about how it's because women are more likely to be the caregivers of their spouse and when you are a caregiver, as you know, it, it, it can be very consuming and very emotional uh, toll on you. Mm -hmm. And if you can't leave the house as much, it's like, how do you connect outside? So in that sense, um, you know, gaming technology is available to you. And so since I started with VR, I found that our, the people that we serve may change. And it becomes a lot more needs-based. Uh, because it, online there's no age right in VR you could be <clears throat> any age anything anybody um, and but what I found is that people who are lonely or isolated they can naturally be drawn to this type of experience because we all want connection right so I definitely think there's so much room like social VR I'm a big advocate for um, working with professionals, uh, doctors, we use it for pain management, um, memory, all kinds of things that we can do. And I think that uh, if, if they have people, you know, like you and I, who continue to push VR within the organizations that we work with that have influence, that it can become something that is more common to find. And not just for entertainment value, but for actually meeting the needs of people, the end user on the other end of it. I mean, that's definitely some of the programs I want to do. So that's my plan. Totally. I mean, there is, we're really just at the tip of the iceberg right now, and there's so much untapped potential because oh, VR yeah. is just, I mean, as you obviously know better than me, it is just such a perfect fit for the population that we're trying to serve. Exactly. I totally agree. It is. I mean, because 
we're yet to discover what else we can do, right? And mm -hmm. people are, are hard at work in it. And the VR world is not that big. You can really get to know people now and network with with other people. I think most people in VR, they're very passionate people, you know? And I think that as far as you know, the tech world goes, the coolest people, the nicest people, because we're more open. We want people to adopt this technology. So we're much more open to talk with people who have interest in it. Um, for me, I have an interest in introducing it correctly and with purpose, not just say, this is really cool, do it. Because I always fear that the wrong experience can make somebody not want to try anything else, which happens. Mm -hmm. But but uh, there are so many people doing, man, just really amazing work. And I feel really lucky that we get to collaborate and work together with it. But you're so right. It is the tip of an iceberg. So again, thank you for, for coming on the podcast. I have one final question for you, <laughs> yeah, sure. which is, what is your parting advice? You know, what are your words of wisdom for somebody who is looking to get a little bit more involved in using these immersive technologies with the population that we serve? Hmm. Did you say wisdom? That is a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that if, if you have a passion for something and you see a need, go for it. If you have a passion and you don't see a need, reach out to people and talk there and be teachable. Like reach out to people that you want to learn from and you want, or you want to help. I, I've often found people who've messaged me who, you know, don't want to disturb me or, you know, they're afraid to ask or something. And there's no reason to, because I work with a lot of people. And if I can't, if I don't have a fit with you, um, I can connect you to somebody. And that would be the same for, I think, a lot of our colleagues in the industry, where you can reach out to them. If they can't help you, they'll find somebody who can. So you kind of just go for it. And you know what? You're going to have to feel alone and be okay with that sometimes. Um, you have to go against the grain. And you are convincing people to do something that people are typically scared of. And, uh, I mean, you hear this all the time, that don't give up on it. I mean, that sounds so simple, right? But but uh, just if you believe in it, just keep pushing for it. Um, and I think that that's really what has been keeping this industry alive, is that there are people who, they're like, okay, you don't want it now, but I'm going to develop it, and you're going to want it later. Like I said, the technology is definitely really needed for for this demographic, which ironically may be a demographic that doesn't want it, even though I think it would help them the most, right? So, it, um, yeah, just keep pushing for it and connect with people. I mean, doing Leading Age has opened up so many doors for me just because I'm able to talk with people working in different areas, and, and I'm still really good friends with the people in the academy when we get together and play board games and, and talk about our work and talk about what we're doing next. So um, be willing to, you know, connect with people and network with them from like a place of genuine want of moving forward. So hopefully that helps. That, that helps a ton. I think there's just a lot of, I'll, I'll use your favorite word, wisdom that you've shared with us overall on this podcast. Um, again, 
thank you so much for joining. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and oh, I appreciate you. you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for having me. Big shout out again to V. Chazen from Mather Lifeways. VR is finally becoming mainstream in senior living. Look no further than the recent report that Senior Housing News put out. Plus, the decreasing cost of headsets is going to make this much more accessible in our space. It's going to be on the backs of ardent supporters and innovators like V that this emerging tech will find new applications for older adults. If you're interested in learning more and in connecting with V, I'd recommend going to Twitter and finding her there. Her handle is aptly at VRChazen. Thanks for listening and consider subscribing on your podcast platform of choice to stay tuned for the next episode.